but God's working in their life. God's out there every single day working in their life. And whether they're at work or whether they're at home or whether they're running in the hills with Simon, God's working in their life. Everybody. That's the incredible thing. He doesn't just come to church. He doesn't touch the world only when church is gathering and when home groups and cell groups are meeting. He doesn't just dial in then. He's working in all of the people all of the time, whether they're running away from him or running towards him. And he says to us, will you learn how to work with me? Will you learn how to come alongside and be someone I can use at least a little bit? And he asks us that question, and his desire is that we'll be that a heck of a lot. Listen to these words from uh, the book of Matthew. Here's another story Jesus said. He was telling stories about the kingdom of, of heaven. And he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. And when the crop began to grow and produce grain... The weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? So the farmer says, An enemy has done this. Shall we pull it, should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do that. So just let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds and to tie them into bundles and to burn them and to put the wheat into the barn. Now that's a picture of the church. It's also a picture of every single person's life, including our life. It's a picture of what it's like. Good seed and weeds. You know, and the enemy has been able to plant um, people and, and seed within us, within our lives, that's not good seed. And that can grow just as the good seed of God can grow. In fact, the weeds have been growing for a lot longer in some, some of us than the good seed. Because God just keeps putting good seed into our lives. And what we do with that seed has a lot to do with how quickly it germinates. But if you've been, give me a figure of how long someone's been alive. You, for, for yourself, 49 years. So Carl said 49 years of growing bad seed. Some of it's quite tall, and it's, it's right there. And there's good seed, tremendous good seed growing within his life too. And God says, actually, it's, it's there within every single person. Now, you know, religious thinking says to, to uh, uh, us... We've got to get all the bad seed out. We've got to rip it out. We've got to cut it down. We've got to shorten it. We want the big seed to get the sun and the water. So let's just deal with this stuff. Jesus says in this parable, don't do that. You'll actually wreck the good seed as well as the bad seed. Just let it be there. I'll deal with it, he's saying. And if we believe this, then we will refrain from trying to fix up people's lives so that they look like us. Now let's assume that we're a little bit further along the journey and we have got a lot of maturity in Christ in our life. Someone new comes into this church building for a musical and then comes the next week and the next week and they're coming along and, and we can think, you don't look like us. You've got to look like how we look. And if we do that to a person, we turn them into a hypocrite. We, we're saying to them, unless you look like we look and talk like we talk and sound like us, 
then we won't really accept you. But all we're doing is dealing with the outward stuff before the Holy Spirit has brought enough change on the inside that the, the real change starts to affect the outward. Are you with me? Yeah. Non-Christians hate hypocrisy, yeah. a lot of them. And they spot it really quick when it's just hypocrisy. Oh, I get it. I've got a dress and a suit, wear a tie, and I don't know, wear shoes <laughs> to be like you. It really affects churches. If you go back into the 70s when people from the hippie culture started getting, uh, getting saved, they started coming to church dressed how they would just in life. And most, many, many, many churches pushed the hippies out of the church and said, no, change and look like us and then we'll accept you. Hopefully we've learned a whole lot more about accepting and loving people and letting the Holy Spirit bring the change that only he can bring in a person's life so that from the inside out, people genuinely begin to change. So let me just share a few thoughts about some truths in life. The first one is that God is at work in every single person's life across the planet. Can I get a wave? It's absolutely true. Secondly, people's lives in New Zealand today are messy. Messy. Would you say messy? It's a great name to, to think about what people's likes, lives are like. There's lots of weeds. In other words, there's lots of dysfunction in people's lives. And, and sometimes it's generational dysfunction that's, that's growing. And when they first come into a church environment, they're not like us. They, they feel as if they stand out, and perhaps in some ways they do. But the best soil for someone to grow in a church is, is a climate where a messy person is accepted, and yet people are encouraged that change can happen. Yeah. Not that they have to change themselves, but they hear stories of the life change that we've been hearing about, and answers to prayer like Des's, Des's story or Jasmine's story, and they begin to get hope in their life. Well, if Jesus, if Jesus could do it for them, maybe he could do it for me as well. Amen. And the genuineness of a work of the Spirit begins to take place. But let me give you one more thing about um, truths about life, and that is that Christians are also messy. We also continue to sin occasionally, hopefully. No. You know what I mean. Sin occasionally. Not, yeah. So we are hypocrites. It's just that we're being honest about it, saying that, yes, we still continue to mess up. Speak to your neighbor and tell them how much of a hypocrite you are. Just, just, just give them a word about your hypocrisy. You see, all people are, are hypocrites. That's the thing of being humans. And Jesus' strongest rebuke was to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Have a listen to this in, in Luke chapter 11. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and he took his place at the table. And his host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Now this Pharisee must have exploded somehow 
And Jesus is looking at him, and something rose up within Jesus. Could you imagine doing this? You get invited by someone home here from church, and, and they invite you to their house, and they've cooked a beautiful chicken. There's a lovely meal. It's, it's got um, uh, that, that um, just vegetables. It's got everything. It's got everything in the meal. Can you imagine doing this that Jesus did to the Pharisee? The Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fool! Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you will be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you, O Pharisee? For you um, are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Okay, please serve. Would you do that to a, if you were invited into someone's home? Jesus must have had a really bad day. He must have seen something, because he goes on for another 10 verses about this, if you, if you go to that passage and keep reading. Wow. You see, inside, the leaders weren't what they appeared to be on the outside, and yet they weren't acknowledging that. They were keeping it hidden pretending. They were hypocrites. And because of that, there was no engagement in God's forgiveness and grace through the sacrificial system. They were dispensing God's grace through the sacrificial system, but there was no time when they were also getting in line with the people and saying, we need this as much as you need this. I need to offer a, a, a lamb or, or, or a dove as well because of the sin that's in my life. No, they were pretending that everything was cool and right and they were best uh, on best terms with their Father in heaven. And Jesus is saying to them, you're a hypocrite. Now you might be thinking, well, John, that's really directed directly at you as a leader in the church. So it's not actually about me yet. But let me take you to another passage where Jesus says, actually, it's about everyone. We got that picture of um, the Pharisee spirit. Some Christians come to church and they see this. We're dressed differently, but the attitude, the attitude that they pick up from Christians is this. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. See, Jesus, when he began his ministry, he would go somewhere and he would have to try to draw a crowd but after he'd raised a few from the dead and healed people that were lepers and, and just done the amazing things and said the words that he, would, went, uh, that he said, it wasn't too long into that three-year period where he couldn't go to any town in Israel, which we're going to. Yay. It's going to be so good. We're there in three weeks' time. He couldn't go into any of the towns without it being absolutely, Jesus is here, Jesus is here, Jesus is here. And people would rush and run and thousands would gather if there were that many in the vicinity to hear him. And they're just stepping all over each other. There's a thousand something people. And Jesus turned first to his disciples and he warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. He doesn't say beware of the Pharisees this time. He's saying beware of the yeast that's working on the inside of them 
Beware of their hypocrisy. Why? Because it will jump over into us. Just normal, ordinary people. So, so easily. Any of us can fall into the trap of being a hypocrite and pretending that we're more together than we really are. And it feeds our pride when we see someone who we think isn't as far along as we are, but we can just feel, I'm I'm just a bit elevated here. Can I help you up? Can I offer you some service from my height of knowledge and understanding about Christ and about life and how my life's together, but you're homeless? Or you're struggling in this situation? Can I give you a hand from this lofty height? And the truth is, we're all hypocrites. We're all messy. We all struggle with sin. And the answer isn't harsher rule-keeping. It's a relationship with Jesus where we trust Him for the provision of healing and forgiveness in our life and freedom from sin, and where we trust Him and His power to help us change. You know, someone said church should be called Sinners Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous. People go in. Alcoholics Anonymous. We don't often think of coming to church. I'm going to Sinners Anonymous today. (laughs) Going with where all the messy people are who are willing to be honest. They've discovered this righteous giving God who's given righteousness into our life, but has said, I'm going to take you now, even though I see you as absolutely complete and perfect because of everything my son has done on the cross and has been given to you. When you asked for forgiveness, I gave you the whole deal. But I'm setting up something that over the course of your lifetime is called sanctification, where you will walk a journey and you will begin to the process of learning to choose and loving what is right rather than what is wrong, and and facing times where you're so in anguish of the wrong things that you've said or you've thought or you've acted out in some way, and the change that needs to come in your heart will take place, and you'll begin to be different, and you'll begin to become more like my son Jesus as life goes on. And it's sad, I wish it happened in one whoosh. Anyone else with me? Anyone like to be perfect? Wouldn't it be so much easier? Absolutely perfect. But the Bible says we won't actually be like that until we see him in the day that we've passed on from this life or in the day when he returns, which might be sooner than we think. There's a lot of stuff in this world that maps out and correlates with what Jesus said would take place in the last days and the time of the tribulation. It's right here now. But we're not going to see that final change in us until we lose the, uh, this body and this life and we're on into the next with him. And so Sinners Anonymous is a great name. I don't think we'll get it up on our board out the front. St. Albans Baptist Sinners Anonymous Club. But we could put up a sign out the front there that says, no perfect people allowed. So if you come in, you're acknowledging there's still work to be done. And it just changes how we look at people. We look at people from the level of where where they are at an eye-to-eye kind of thing. 
Instead of looking down on someone, we just say, yeah, I understand. Good to see you. So good that you're here. And we can tell the stories of what Jesus has done. You may be in that, in that position, well, we'll pray for you because I know two or three people, and actually I was one of those two. I was exactly where you were, but I'm no longer in that place now. God has done a work in my heart, and I've changed. Yeah. And when people hear that, they get a four-letter word, hopefully. Yes, four-letter word. I said that once, and it was a five-letter word. <laughs> Felt really silly for years. It was faith. You count it out? Got a four-letter word. God, God uses. God wants you to have it. Someone said to me afterwards, it's actually five, John. <laughs> but they get hope. H-O-P-E. That their life can be different. And it's different not because they've learned how to manage their dysfunction to bring it to functionality but it's because the Spirit of God has worked within them. It's His work. We have to be caref careful not to do God's work. Um, you know, this is what the, the musical was about, and so I want to just show you a couple of clips of, of just the end. Tony, you, you had such brilliant words in those, in those songs. They were powerful, and I, I could feel it in my own heart as Dean and and others were singing, um, but I know that the non-Christians did too. Let me just uh, see this played so we can remember it. You know, the Father's willingness to love on human beings. Wow. But the attitude of the older brother, or the younger brother in this case, you know, write her off, Dad. Forget about that person. They don't matter anymore. So often, so often we're tinged with that. 
And that really was one of the major points that, that Jesus was making in this story. That so much of the church carries the older brother kind of thinking about people who don't look like us and, and aren't as far along the journey as we are and they're all really messy. You see, the hard attitude of an authentic culture is an attitude of love. The Pharisees came to trick Jesus, and in Matthew chapter 22, it says this, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And so Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And that's, that's what God wants from us. He wants us to have these two inseparable things where we love God and we love people. And we understand this aspect of loving God. God is worthy of love. Think of everything that he's done in creating us. He's good. He's merciful. He has grace towards us when really he could just punish us or wipe us out. But no, he just gives us grace. He gives us a fifth chance and a 50th chance. And he fills our love tank so that as we come out of church, we're just overflowing with happiness from what God has been doing within us. And non-Christians don't get this. They often say, can't I just be a good person? Because it's possible for an unregenerate person to be very good. They've got a lot of good seed, Carl, as well as 49 years of bad stuff. (laughs) There's a lot of good stuff just in being human as well, as well as God's seed that he's planted since you came to Christ. Lots of good that's in there. And non-Christians often say, can't I just be a good person? And that's our challenge is to help them to see you cannot be actually Fully loving if you're not also loving God, who, who is the creator of you. And we, we have this challenge to be able to present that in a way that people go, yeah, i got to think on that. That's really true. And then we're to love people. And sadly, many Christians, we don't follow through with this. We, 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 we just hold back because it's easy to think, Those people are really messy. If I get involved in their lives, then mess is going to get around my life. And and God, I want a tidy life. I read of a a college, um, theological college, who was doing a test on the Good Samaritan. And it was they, they, where the college was situated, there was a, a pavement and a street, and then you could go into the, uh, into, into the building where the test was. And they paid someone to act out and be sick out in front of the building. And the college students who were doing a test on the Good Samaritan almost to a person bypassed the sick person and went in and did this. And the last question was, what did you do for the person that you passed coming into the building? <laughs> Because they didn't notice. We were so focused. There's a lot of people in your life and my life that are landscape people. They're like hills and trees and cars. We go down the street. We don't even see them because they're just landscape. And God's saying, ah, there's no landscape. Open your eyes. See what it is that's actually around us. Because real love, love is a verb. It's not a noun. It's a verb. So it has to have action. So I want to ask you, 
How did you love people last week? What did you do that went, took you out of your way to love on someone in the last seven days? Because I think God would ask that kind of question of us. You know, there's so many people who are messy with divorce, financial difficulties, unkempt appearances. I remember on the day that I was getting baptized, we were down in Glen Eden Baptist Church where I eventually became the youth pastor. And my pastor, Presbyterian minister by the name of David Strickland, was baptizing some people as well as me. And uh, one of the guys just literally stunk. I got close to him, turned around and walked well away going, flip, can't believe that guy. Talking to someone, probably not you, honey. And the pastor came up to this guy that the B.O. was, he hadn't bathed in a long time. And he just wrapped his arms around him and he just said, it is so good that you're getting baptized today. I am so proud of you. You are going to be a great man of God. That guy went on, married a lovely girl um, whose parents lived in Remuere. He ended up being a lawyer and uh, just, just has gone on to a great life. But I walked away from him because he offended my nose. And we do that. There are people with criminal records, people who are homosexual, people who are, have reputations of, of being uh, a real uh, sexual um, something. And, and we don't say to them, it's great to see you. They might even sit in your seat. Have you ever thought of saying this to someone who's sitting in your seat? Not that you actually have a seat, or me. Exactly. Hey, you like my seat? Come to my house. I reckon you like my house too. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I think God challenges us on as a church is to open our homes. You know the coffee culture that we have all bought into? of going to cafes and meeting people in cafes and things. For some of us, and I would say many of us, we've done that at the expense of inviting people into our house, into our homes, into where we live, into where they see the pictures and the, the um, things that we have around that we, we consider important and valuable. So they never learn many, many things about our life. And they only see the outward that we show to them on a Sunday. I've had people who've come to the church here and they said, you know, I've been in the church for over a year and I've been invited to two people's homes and for one of those was a meal. We've forgotten some of the aspects of hospitality that are so important for friendships to really be able to develop. And God's saying, don't wait until they look like you and smell nice to be able to invite them into those spaces. If we're going to really be people who love people in the way that God loves us. You know, I can remember when I was young and uh, uh, surfing, and I remember one night, uh, just a teenager, um, we'd been surfing at Piha, there were three of us. Somehow one of the guys had lost his pants. So all he had was a towel and a T-shirt. And, and, and we... To myself and my other friend Mark, we said, let's go to church. And the guy goes, I can't go to church. This is all I got. Don't worry, you can come. 
And he said, no, I'm not going in. I said, well, walk home then. So he trudged in behind us. And it must have been a movie on because it was dark and we were all sitting there. And then we forgot that at the end of the movie, the lights would come on. And here we are, these three young teenagers. The lights come on. We're in church and one of us has no pants. (laughs) And the people just embraced us. There was no, you know, there was no penalty for doing something that was dumb. We just got loved on. And I tell you what, when you first got saved, you did dumb things too, and you messed up, and I'll guarantee the church came around you in various ways. And if they didn't, then I'm sorry, because they should have. Because we're to love people, not to judge, not to have all these rules about, we'll only accept them if they're like that. You know, the church can actually become a very unsafe, toxic environment if it's left to its own thinking in this regard. I've told this story several times. I want to tell it again because I think it's really relevant, and it happened here in Christchurch. Um, I was flying back from Sydney from Hillsong with Sandra about five years ago, and the guy came, uh, came and sat next to me in the seat, and his name was Steve, and he wanted to talk, and we talked for about two hours on the way home. And he was a successful executive. And he talked about his ex-wife, and he talked about his new partner and his children and some of the difficulties that were going on and all of that. And then the story came out about how he got divorced. And he said his wife became a Christian at a certain church. And they start, she started a cell group in her home. And, um, and he would often come home late and... and uh, He said eventually he just felt really out of place even in his own home. He'd end up eating tea in his bedroom and that. And the pastor started putting pressure on his wife that um, she had to get her husband to church. And he didn't want to go to church. He wasn't even going to cell group. And eventually the pastor told his wife that she needed to divorce him and marry someone else. And so she did. That was what happened. And I'm sitting there with my mouth just dropped. And I said to him, I am so sorry that a church and a pastor of a church told you that information. As churches, as Christians, we are absolutely for marriage. We want marriages to be strengthened and for for yours to have continued. And and I'm just so sorry that, that that has actually taken place. And he said, yeah, he said, it was a really dark time in my life. And he said, eventually I had a dream. I was really troubled by what was going on. I had a dream. And he said, in the dream, a being in light came into my room. And he said this to me. He said, you're going to be okay. A being in light came to him and said, you're going to be okay. And he touched me. And the moment this being touched me in the dream, I was filled with this love and peace and this amazing sensation. Wow. I said to him, I reckon you have actually met the God that that church is supposed to represent. And he's just told you that this was not his will and he's going to look after you. And our conversation went on from there. But how sad that a church that should be loving on people, not coercing them, but loving on people and accepting them where they are, 
became so caustic, so full of that, that religious spirit of the Pharisees. You've got this much time, and if you don't improve, then you're out. The older brother spirit. And you know, God is going to increasingly bring non-Christian people into your orbit and into this church. And how are we going to treat them? How are we going to love on them? Are we going to do our part, which is to love, or are we going to do our part plus the Holy Spirit's part? I want to suggest that I want to be part of a church that will love on people and embrace them where they are, but say to them at the same time without compromising, but you, you may be here, but God has the ability to absolutely change you and change the circumstances of your life amazingly. Keep listening to the stories. Keep coming back and you will find other people who've been just where you are, but God has done amazing things and transformed their life. I want to be part of such a church. Do you? Is this the kind of church that we're going to be? Are we going to be a church that Jesus will say, I know exactly where I can send that person? St. Albans Baptist. They'll love them to life. They'll stand with them. If you and I want to be in that... Can I have the music team come? If you and I want to be in that kind of church, I wonder what it will mean for you and for me. What would have to change to see the way that you relate to people radically shift? What would have to change in how you come in those doors so that no one sat alone, so that anyone that was new was talked to by multiple people? What would you have to do to see a change there? What would have to change in your thinking out in the cafe so that no one stood wondering whether anyone will notice them. No one was on the side. What would have to change if they sat in your seat? Maybe God might say to you what I said before. If someone dares to sit in your seat, invite them to lunch. Is that you, Lord? You like my seat? You'll love lunch at our place. What would have to change? You know, two folk came to Christ last Sunday down the front here. If I came up to you, um, at the end of the service and asked you to follow up for six weeks with one of them, would that be within your comfort zone of where you're prepared to allow yourself to be and to go? Or would you be faced with a serious decision? You know those two people that came to Christ last week? They're both being followed up by someone who's saying, oh, this is so good, this is so good, this is what the church is about. This is why I come here. Because 
People's lives get fixed. But it's not us, it's God. But I wonder just before we, before we sing, if we could just stand. And if you'd be willing just to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what, what might you want me to change so that this culture of welcoming people, accepting that they're messy and engaging with them anyway, what would have to change in me? And just, just let, the God, let, let God speak to you if there's anything that he wants to talk to you about. And then Sandra is just going to lead us.